I'm excited to get to share with you guys today. It's always an exciting thing when we get to do youth takeover. Today, we are launching our new series called The Narrow Path. And KD did such an amazing job. Give it up for KD, giving her testimony. That's not easy, but man, showing what God has done in her life. That's so cool. And today, that's exactly what we're talking about. The narrow path. Right in the book of Matthew, it says, Wide is the gate in the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate, narrow is the path, if you will, that leads to life, right? And so this whole series is going to be about what does it look like for us in 2023 to walk the narrow path, all right? That's the question that we are striving to answer today. And, and right on the surface value, the narrow path, right? It's doing things different than everyone around us does at least most things different when you're on the narrow path it means that you are not on the popular path it means there are people more people on the big path than on the small path and sometimes that's hard right because we see people all doing a thing and we're like man i would like to be also doing that thing right somebody one time asked me if i think it was my dad he's like if everyone jumped off a cliff would you do it I was like, well, I mean, if everyone's doing it, there's probably like a fire or, or an angry pack of wolves behind us. So probably, you know, there's probably a good reason, right? But so often we have that group mentality, right? If everyone's doing it, then I should probably be doing it. And it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to get off of the wide path. Some struggle more than others. When I was in college, I, uh, I had a, whoop, got him. I had a group of friends. Thank you. And, uh, and one of them, his name was Ryan. And Ryan was an awesome dude. He was a great friend. But one funny thing about Ryan was that uh, he seemed to want to do quite literally everything that me and my friend Nathaniel did. To the point where we started noticing that he was going out of his way to copy some of the things that we did. We weren't 100% sure. It could have been a coincidence. So we decided to test it. We're like, okay, we're going to test this. Let's start doing little things and see if he starts doing that. So every day when we were out at a gas station, we would buy a newspaper, right? And none of us read the newspaper, but we just wanted to know if he'd do it, right? It only took like two trips to the gas station before we come back and Ryan's got his own newspaper. And we're like, okay, right? There's one. I think we have a theory. So then we started doing this thing where every time we entered a room, we tapped the doorframe, right? Just out of instinct. That probably only took like one day until Ryan was tapping the doorframe. And we were like, okay, I am pretty sure he is literally copying everything we do. So we took it to the next level. We we're like, let's, let's invent a word, all right, that absolutely doesn't make sense and just start using it and see if he starts using it. And so what we started doing, anytime something was cool or awesome, we would be like, oh man, that's Jenga. That's so Jenga. Now, this one was tough because he did not catch on right away, all right? But we stuck to it. It probably took us about a week of just calling stuff Jenga all the time. And then finally, he came in, and I don't even remember what it was, but he told us something cool that happened. And we were like, that's awesome, man. He goes, totally Jenga. And we are like, we knew it, right? We got him, busted him right there. Sometimes it's hard for people to not want to be like the people around them. And I get that, right? And the church of Corinth was no different, right? That's what we're going to look at today. Paul, he, he had a little back and forth with the church of Corinth in the New Testament in the book of Corinthians. And that's exactly, on a more serious level, what they were struggling with. See, they wanted to be all for Jesus. They wanted to be on the narrow path, except for they were very ingrained and tied to the culture around them. And the culture around them was one that had idol worship, right? Pagan worship, all these sacrifices and rituals that honored everything but the one true God. 
And so it was not a, I can do a bit of both situation. It was either you're for God and against idols, or you're for idols and against God. And that's what the church was really struggling with. And so they found themselves in this really difficult situation. All right? I'm going to describe it to you. And, and we're going to take a group vote on what you think, all right? So pay close attention, all right? You're going to have to cast your vote here. Here's what was happening, all right? One of the things that happened in the culture was often there were ceremonies and meetings that took place inside the pagan temple, right? And it could have been all sorts of things, right? It could have been holiday feasts. Um, often it was business meetings to close a deal. Um, all sorts of social interactions would take place in the temple. And they would go and there would be meat, Right? It didn't say what kind of meat, all right? but I like to think like a nice ribeye steak with a little butter on top. It could have been that, right? We don't know. But uh, there was meat, and the meat was in the temple for the, the sacrifice to the idols. Right? It was in honor of whoever the temple was to, any one of these false gods. right? And so there arose a dilemma. Right? Some of the Christians were like, listen, we're Christians now. We can't be going in to the temple at all, right? We got to be completely separate from that. And that sounds really good. And that sounds like the obvious move, but hear me out. Removing themselves from that was almost social suicide, right? Because then they weren't, they weren't able to celebrate with their community. They weren't really even able to be part of their culture. If they were a businessman, they were not able to, to have these meetings, to close these deals, to build the relationship. It was completely ostracizing themselves from the culture around them. Which is kind of hard to, you know, be in the world when you're not in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to witness when you got nobody to witness to. And so they struggled. Some people said, no, we absolutely shouldn't go in there. And then the other side, they rose the argument, listen, idols are nothing. Idols are literally fake carved statues. They hold no power. So sacrificing meat to an idol is literally sacrificing it to nothing. If we know that God is God and we have a clear conscience, then why does it matter if we go in there or not. And they rose a valid point as well. And so we're gonna, we're gonna see how split the room is today, all right? Team one is don't go in there at all, right? Don't even step foot, it's wrong. Don't be in there and just not even an inch, right? Team two is gonna be, as long as you know God is God in your heart, you know that idols are nothing, your conscience is clear, you're good, all right? So I need everybody on team one, right? Don't do it, raise your hand now. Who's on team one? Who do we got? We got some, okay. Who's on team two? Who are my team twoers? Oh man, we got some of them too, right? And they kind of were in the same boat. They were split. And we're gonna dive into what Paul said, all right? Because Paul, he writes them and he addresses them. We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through six. It says this. It says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Now that's in quotes. That's likely something that they wrote to him trying to convince them why it's okay, right? They have the knowledge. They know what is and is not real power. He says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. Another quote there. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, though whom are all things and through whom we exist. And so to my surprise, 
Paul kind of backs up team two, right? Like he starts, he starts kind of leaning team one, right? He's like, hey, you say you have knowledge, but let me teach you a little something about knowledge. If you think you know something, you know nothing, right? I'm like, okay, Paul, get warmed up, right? Get ready to go in on him. And then he says, but if you have the knowledge and you know that idols are nothing and you know that there is one true God, that there is one savior in Jesus Christ, then you do well, right? And Paul affirms Team two. And I'm like, what is going on? Right? And they brought up the fact that they had the right. And that is something that that we get behind a lot in our culture. Our rights. Things that we are allowed to do that nobody is going to stop us from doing. We are allowed to do these things. And they said, this is our right. We are allowed to go into the temple because idols are nothing. And we know that God is something. And our conscience is clear. Our heart is for God. And say, we have the right. And man, we do that, we do that as well. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Because there are rights that we have and we can absolutely stand on. But a lot of times, like the Corinthians, we get really focused on one question. Can I? Can I do this? Can I go into the temple? Am I allowed to? Is it okay for me? It's a black and white yes or no. But the thing is, they were asking the wrong questions. Because you would think after Paul's opening statement that it was case closed, right? Paul said we could do it, so we're good to do it. And team one, you're out of luck, right? But not so fast. Because Paul flips it on him, right? He makes him ask a different question. Instead of can I, he asks the question, should I? So team one, there's still hope, all right? Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 12 says this. However, not all possess this knowledge... But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak, to eat food Offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Strong words from Paul. And so he goes another direction, right? Right when we think the case is closed, right? The question is, can I? The answer is yes, done. Paul says, are you allowed to do it? Yes. But hold on. Should you do it? And at first glance, you could be like, okay, that's, that's virtually the same question. Can I and should I? But man, they're incredibly different questions. Because can I is a self-centered question. Now, it's not always a bad question, okay? But it's a self-centered. It's one from a perspective where you're only including one person, and that's you. Am I allowed to do this thing? Yes or no, black and white. It only focuses on you. It's a yes or a no. It's a self-centered question. But should I? is not self-centered. Should I opens it up to many other factors. Should I doesn't mean am I allowed to. Should I means is this a good idea considering all the factors, everyone it affects. Should I shifts the focus to those around you, to everyone involved. Should I is the question that they should be asking. So when it comes to the food offered to idols, right? Can I? Yes. Should I? It depends, right? He doesn't give a straight answer again, but I love it, right? Because he breaks it down, he unpacks it, and he keeps going. He brings up a situation, right? 
He brings up a situation that might make you change your answer. He says, can you? Yes, but it's not worth it if you are a stumbling block. And I want to I want to talk about that for a second. What is a stumbling block? A stumbling block spiritually is something that you do that causes someone else a struggle, right? That causes somebody else to struggle with sin. Now, specifically the kind of stumbling block we're talking about, because stumbling blocks, they can be, you know, you do something bad and that gets someone else to do that bad thing, right? That's not what we're talking about. The stumbling blocks we're talking about today is when you do something that is not sinful, that you are absolutely allowed to do, that you have the right but it causes someone else to stumble. See, we enter this gray area where we have to shift from can I to should I, right? Because can you? Absolutely. Are you allowed to? Yep. Is it a sin? Nope. All clear. Will it cause my brother to stumble? Yes. Ooh. Well, this is tough, right? And then we have a choice, right? Because some people have strong faith, Strong conviction. Some people have weak faith. Everybody is different in their spiritual journey. And this is what was happening, right? The people who had more knowledge about Christ, who had more knowledge about idols, who knew that idols were nothing, that they were man-made, that they held no power, and that Jesus was the true king. They weren't struggling. They were like, listen, don't bother me. I'll go in there, right? I'll eat the meat right off the idol's hand and know that it's literally a statue that means nothing, right? Praise God forever. And they're good and it doesn't mess with them. And they said, okay, that's fine. However, there are people that were not really sure, right? They're, they're like dipping their toe into the water of Christianity, which is okay. That's where some people start. That's where everybody starts at one point, right? Everybody starts a baby Christian. When you start out, they're still figuring things out. And oh man, when they see somebody with the knowledge march in and start eating, they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm really not sure what's happening. Like they're in here and they, they're eating the meat. So I guess, I guess I can eat the meat, but their conscience is not as strong. Their faith doesn't hold on quite as long their foundation isn't quite as built and so they actually start to slip back into that culture back into the idol worship back into the temptation they go against their conscience and they fall away from god that's what was at stake that is the stumbling block we're talking about right even though they're allowed to do it it causes somebody else to stumble now, let me tell you what we do typically, okay? And I'm not picking on anyone specifically because I have been more guilty of this than anybody, right? Whenever I have a right, I'm allowed to do something. And somebody else comes up and says, hey, it kind of bothers me when you do that thing. And I know I'm allowed to do it. And I know that I'm the strong and they're the weak, right? My solution is, well, the weak person just needs to get on my level, right? They just need to buck up. They just need to learn the true thing and let me do my thing, right? Because they're wrong. And so when I look in the word, I kind of expect Paul to back me up on this and be like, so the weak needs to get up, to buck up, to get strong, get their stuff together, and then everyone can be strong. But that's not what he says. In fact, he says that the strong should defer to the weak. And that's tough. Man, I'll tell you what, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of that. Personally, if I'm being honest, because if I'm strong, I want the weak to defer to me because I'm strong, right? My faith is strong. I have the knowledge, right? I want to be able to do the stuff I want to do. But that's not what it says. In fact, all through scripture, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, when he talks about his followers walking the narrow path, it involves the strong deferring to the weak. And man, that is not easy. That's what he tells the church of Corinth to do. And that's what he tells us to do as well. And that's tough to get behind, 
right? When you have a right, when you know you're allowed to do it, but it makes somebody else struggle. The strong is to defer to the weak. Man, how do we get there? Because that's a tough place to get to. And it comes down to this. Love versus liberty. The love you have for someone versus the liberty you have in life. Now let's talk about love for a second, right? I love my beautiful wife, Amanda. She was up here singing. She did a fantastic job. Give it up for my wife, please. Thank you so much. I love her, right? And when you love someone, you give things up for them. You defer to them, hopefully, right? Fingers crossed, right? At least that's what we say on the wedding day, right? We're ready for it. And so whenever you get married, all the married people in here, you're going to know what I'm talking about. You get ready for the big things, right? You're like, all right, we're going to be moving into the same house, right? We're going to be joining in this way. We're going to be, you know, it's all going to be different. We're going to be her life and my life. We're now one life. And you get ready for the big things. The things that get you are the little ones, right? Those little tiny preferences that you have, right? You like the toilet paper to come from the top. They like the toilet paper to come from the bottom, right? Your wife buys decorative hand towels, but apparently you're not allowed to actually use them to wipe your hands. Apparently, that's just what I hear, right? And so one of them for us was, was how we ended a phone conversation, right? Something I never thought I would argue in my entire life, but it's important, let me tell you, all right? Because when Amanda gets done with a phone conversation, she says, bye, I love you. In that exact order, so that I love you is the last thing that she says, right? So sweet. But that is not how I was raised, right? In my home, it was incredibly different. Opposite, we would say, I love you, bye. Now we have a big problem, okay? (laughs) Huge problem, all right? Because when we get done with our phone conversation, I say, all right, I love you, bye. And she says, okay, bye, I love you. And we did that a couple of times until one day she sat me down and she said, there's something really bothering me. I'm like, okay, what is it? You say it wrong. (laughs) She says, I need, not just me, but I need you to say goodbye, I love you. I'm like, why does it matter? So we go back and forth and back and forth. And eventually I was retrained to say, bye, I love you. To now, sometimes I'm on the phone with my bros. I'm like, yep, yeah, we'll go fishing. All right, bye, I love you. Sorry, yep. And then I just don't show up, right? But I had a choice. I had the right. I had every right to continue saying, I love you, bye. That's how I was raised. It wasn't wrong. It was totally fine. I had the right to do it. But Amanda wanted me to say, bye, I love you. And so I had a choice between love and liberty, right? Do I stick to what I want to do, to what I'm allowed to do, to my right? Or do I give it up for love? Do I take a step down because my love for my wife is more than my love for my liberties? And that's a silly example, but obviously I chose my wife, right? I say, bye, I love you every time. But that's what we're called to do because here's the deal. When you love someone, you gladly lay down your preferences. And so go back to the Corinthian situation, right? Did they love their preference more? Or did they love their brothers and sisters more? When it comes to your situation, do you love your rights, your preferences, your liberties more than you love the individuals in your life? And when we say it like that, it's super obvious. We're like, no, I I love my family. I love my friends. I love the people. But love is action. And so what action do you take? Because so often we say we love the people, but the choices we pick 
is the can I and not the should I. The choices we pick is our liberty over that love. Because the truth is that this concept is so difficult of love over liberty because oftentimes, most of the time, we love ourselves more than we love others, more than we even love God. And when it comes to it, We value our preferences over someone else's struggle. And I'm right there with you. I'm not picking on anybody, but I've done that so many times, right? I know like somebody says, oh, that thing you do, it just, you know, I don't like it. It kind of makes me feel a certain way. And my response is like, oh, I'm all for you. I love you, but also I'm not going to change. I love my preferences more than I love that person. I value what Elijah wants more than the struggle that they're going through. And that's not the narrow path, right? That's the way of the world. Me first, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to stick to my rights, my liberties, and everyone else can just get on that page. But when you're walking the narrow path that looks a little bit different, we have to start valuing other people's struggles over our preferences, over our liberties, right? A couple of examples that we see, right, in the forge, man, it's no secret that clothing is a hot topic, right? What can you wear? What can't you wear? Where is the line? What is appropriate, right? How long does my shirt have to go until it's not a crop top, right? We've talked about it all. And it's tough, right? And now what I'm not talking about is, is things that we know are wrong. Like there's a definite line of like, hey, God says to, to honor him with your body, and that's clearly not it. But there's a gray area, if we're being honest, that's what makes it so tough, Right? And I'm just picking on the high schoolers because that's something we're going through right now. And they're doing amazing, by the way. I could tell you stories of the maturity I've seen, and I'm so proud of them. But we're battling through it. And it's like, man, what do we do in that gray area when somebody says, I think that the thing that I'm wearing right now is appropriate. And maybe it is. But somebody else says, hey, I'm really struggling with my eyes. I'm really struggling with my thoughts. And when you wear that, that makes it tough for me. Our first answer so often is, well, you just need to do better. You just need to control your thoughts. You need to control your eyes. And while that's true, while one person is absolutely not responsible for somebody else's choices, right? Everyone answers for their own thoughts, for their own choices. Let's make that clear. But what if we did what Paul did? What if we valued someone else's struggle over our own preferences? It's not a can I, because you can wear whatever you want, right? That's your choice. That's between you and God. But when you look at should I, you have the opportunity to value someone else's struggle over your own preference. That's what walking the narrow path looks like. That's what loving some, your brother and your sister more than yourself looks like, right? There's also so many other things, right? It's not just that. I'm just picking on that because that's what we're going through. But when you get older, right? Drinking, that's a hot topic. Man, I'm a Christian. I just turned 21. I want to have a drink. But man, my dad says, let's go for it. My mom says, don't you dare. And now I'm like, oh, I don't really know what to do here, Right? And it's like, can I? Well, let's look at the word of God, right? Is drinking inherently a sin? No, right? Getting drunk? Yes, but drinking? No. So can I, as a Christian, drink? Yes, but should I? It depends. Look at your surroundings. Look at your circle, right? Maybe you're in a place where it's not going to affect anybody and you can have a drink as a Christian and that's okay. Awesome, right? Go for it responsibly. But maybe... You have somebody in your life with a weaker faith, with a weaker conviction, and they're a little honest with you. And maybe they don't even tell you, but you just know, like, me doing this makes them get into that arena, and they're not strong enough to be in that arena. That's going to cause them a lot of spiritual problems, right? Your liberty versus the love, right? Your preferences versus their struggle. The world says, pick your preferences, but Jesus says, pick their struggle. Love your neighbor more than your preferences. It's a hard thing to do. And it's, we see it all over the time. We've got the clothing, the drinking, entertainment, the friend groups we hang out with, the atmosphere that we're in, 
right? All of it. Sometimes there's atmospheres and friend groups that we're strong enough to be in, right? Maybe it's not the best, but we can be a light in that darkness. But maybe somebody else isn't. Maybe they get pulled down a little bit more than they pull up. And you've got to lay down your preference for their struggle. That's what we're called to do. So what does it look like? What does it look like, actually, to see love over liberty? I love this. Check out how Paul ends this little section. 1 Corinthians 8, 13, and then we're going to skip to 9, 19 through 23. This is Paul talking. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Now, that hurts. Okay, I'll just be honest. I'm like, oh, man. That's another level, right? I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Oh man, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I love that so much. All things to all people. Right? And what he, what he means by that is exactly what he's preaching here. Right? When he's with the Jews, right? He doesn't do things that are going to set the Jews into a tailspin spiritually. Right? Things he's absolutely allowed to do, but they're struggling with, with all these things. Right? Because Jesus just came down and they're not sure, like, is Jesus the Messiah? Do I still have to hold to the Old Testament law? I'm not sure. So even though Paul knows what's going on, right, he puts his liberties, his preferences aside so that he can win them. When he's with the Gentiles, right, he puts himself under their constraints, right? He watches out for their struggles. He lays down his preferences. He is all things to all people so that he might save some. That is what it looks like. To put love over liberty. So guys, as we walk the narrow path, as we conclude today, I just want to end with this. There is a time to take a stand. All right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying always lay down your liberty, always lay down your preference, because there's a time to stand for your liberty. There's a time to stand for your right and draw the line in the sand. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that next week in the forge. However, the truth of the matter is, walking the narrow path requires a lot more stepping down than taking a stand, right? And we want to take more stands than we step down. But if we're being honest, there's a time to take a stand, there's a time to step down. But with the narrow path, there's a lot more stepping down than taking a stand, right? In the book of John, it says, they will know we are Christians by the things we protest, right? No, that's not it, right? They will know we are Christians by our aggressive Facebook posts. No, it's not that either. They will know we are Christians by our political affiliation. That's it. That's the one. No, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our selfless love. The thing, the mark of the follower of Jesus that he calls us to be recognizable from, right, is not the stands we make, right, is not what we're putting on Facebook, is not the political party, it's simply the love we have for our brothers and sisters. That is what will be different from the world. That is how people will know that we are followers of Christ. Our selfless love when we put our preferences down 
and their struggles up. That's what the narrow path looks like. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to pray. And then students, we are having small groups tonight. So head to your small groups. Parents, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I'm going to pray. And then you guys are dismissed. Dear God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the atmosphere of worship where we can just do what we are created to do. God, thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. Thank you for everything you're doing in every single battle in this room. God, I pray today that you just convict us with your word. God, I pray today that we move from can I to should I. We start thinking of other people before ourselves. God, it's not an easy thing to do. But God, I just pray a spirit of selflessness and humility over this room right now. God, because everything that you call us to do starts with a humble heart. God starts with a spirit of humility. God, and I pray that upon this room today. I pray you help us see people through your eyes. I pray our love for your people, for our brothers and sisters, surpasses the love for ourselves, for our preferences, for our liberties, God. I pray that we are truly a people known by our selfless love. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.